Okay, we're in chapter 8, and we got up to verse 16, and we'll be learning now uh, about some of the kings of Judea as we go through the rest of this chapter, and we haven't talked about them for a while because the scripture has been heavily focused on the kings of Israel and the kingdom of Israel and the prophets who prophesied in the kingdom of Israel, like Elijah and Elisha, but now we're going to talk again, we're going to, going back now to speak about the kings of Judea, the last king we learned about was Yoshaphat, a while back. And now the scripture will teach us about the son of Yoshaphat. His name is Yoram. Okay, so let's look at this in verse 16. And in the fifth year of Yoram, son of Ahab, the king of Israel, in his fifth year, Yoshaphat, Melech Yehuda, and in the times of Yoshaphat, king of Judea, Malach Yoram ben Yoshaphat, Melech Yehuda, that Yoram, the son of Yoshaphat became the king. So while this verse looks harmless enough, it's really not. It's got some confusing elements to it. I mean, first of all, it says that Yoram, son of Yoshaphat, who we're learning about, he ruled during the same time as Yoram, son of Ahab, the king of Israel. So that's par for the course. The scripture always describes the king uh, as they give the name of the king who ruled at the same time as him. And we've met Yoram, the son of Ahab. He's been like the major king we've been dealing with up to now. And so the Yoram of Yehuda is ruling during the times of the Yoram of Israel. But that's the confusing part. They got the same name. How is it that the, this, the king of Yehuda is named Yoram, the king of Israel is named Yoram, they're ruling at the same time? Certainly it kind of can confuse one. And it's not just them. As you go through the kings of Israel and Judea afterwards here, in later generations, we see they have either the same name or a similar name. And um, we're going to try to figure out why, maybe in our next shiur. In any case, that's one part of the verse that's tough to grasp. The other part that um, creates confusion is that it says he ruled during the days of Yoshaphat, king of Judea. But that's his father. What, he ruled at the same time as his father? So, the, there's a couple explanations. First, I'll give the Agudic explanation. Why do you have an overlap here uh, that Yoram and his father, Yosef, had the ruling at the same time? That's what verse 16 seems to indicate. So, according to the uh, Midrash, that uh, Yoshaphat, the father of Yoram, if you recall, he's a very righteous king, and, um, but he made a couple mistakes. And one of those things that he went and fought a war against Ramot Gilad, remember in chapter 22 in Kings 1, we learned about that war, he allied himself to Ahab, and they went out and fought against uh, Ramot Gilad, and in that war, he almost got himself killed, he was lucky to survive that war, and again, it was a war he was not supposed to participate in, he was rebuked by the prophet, because again, he was allying himself to the wicked Ahab, and because he was miraculously safe from that war, he decided to view himself as somebody who's dead. That is, he's living on borrowed time. He's like a dead man walking. He doesn't exist, okay? And therefore, from that point, his son, as if, it's as if his son became the king because he nullified himself and that created the overlap because again, it's as if he abdicated the throne for his son to take over even though he was really the acting king. And that explains again the overlap of Yoshaphat and Yoram's reign here. Now, a more simple explanation is that Yoshaphat, in his lifetime, made his son Yoram 
the king to avoid conflict with other sons he might have. You know, sometimes there's the brothers will fight, jealousy and so forth. And to avoid that, he anointed Yoram, or not anointed, but made Yoram, his son, the king, during his lifetime. And therefore, there was an overlap. Now, if, that was, if, that, if that's the case, that Yoshafat was trying to avoid strife with his other sons, well, it didn't work out very well. Because if you go to Chronicles, and the parallel um, chapter of Chronicles to our chapter is Chronicles 2, chapter 21. And as we said, when you're learning Bible, especially about the kings of Judea, you got to look at Chronicles because it's going to uh, offer a lot more information for you to understand what's going on. And here we get a lot of interesting information. So let's look at it inside here. And we'll get uh, some important details. That Yoshaphat, he had a whole bunch of other sons, it says in verse 2, chapter 21, verse 2 of, King, of Chronicles 2. He had sons, and their names were Azariah, and Yechiel, and Zechariah, and Zariahu, and Mechiel, and Shiftayah. All these were the sons of Yoshaphat, that is in addition to Yoram. And he, the father gave them many gifts of silver and gold and luxurious things. That is, he gave these brothers, or these sons, the brothers of Yoram, he gave them a whole bunch of nice things. And he also gave them fortified cities in Judea. That's what the verse says. So, usually the sons are in Jerusalem, right? But maybe he wanted to get them out of Jerusalem so he can make Yoram the king, okay? Maybe, that's speculating. And he sent them to fortified cities in Judea, the verse says. But he gave the kingship to Yoram. For Yoram was the firstborn. And Yoram is the Bechor. He's the firstborn. And the Allah is that the firstborn gets the kingship. He becomes the king if he's righteous, okay? Now, Yoram isn't righteous, but Yoshifat doesn't know that. So, that could be what happened. He sent his sons out, out, get him out of the way, and he made Yoram the king. So, there would be no jealousy, and they, were, they weren't in the picture at the time. But what happens in the next verse? Yoram rose up over the kingdom of his father, and he killed his brothers by the sword. So Yoram is a bad guy, as we're going to see as we go along. He's a murderer, an evil king. He kills all of his brothers, all of his siblings. So um, we'll see how he can be so evil, you know, like where did that come from, okay? We'll see that in a verse or two. So let's look at now in verse uh, 17, the next verse here. Ben shloshim ushtayim shana haya b'malko. So it says that he was um, 32 years old when he became king. And he reigned for eight years in Jerusalem. And that's standard uh, for the kings of Judea, that they ruled in Jerusalem, it says, because Jerusalem is the center. That's where the temple is. That's where their palace is. And it says in verse 18, to describe what kind of king he was, Yisrael. He went in the ways of the kings of Israel. Like Beit Achav had done. So that means he's a really bad king. Because going in the ways of the kings of Israel, like Beit Achav, that is not complimentary. And it says, Because he was married to a daughter of Achav. That is, Yoram's wife was a daughter of Ahab. And that's what made him do so evil. And he did evil in God's eyes. So now you get to see it. Um, you get to see the uh, 
the, the root of the wickedness in Yoram, and it's really a, a new thing that a king of Judea would be so evil, because we've had a pretty stable kingdom in Judea. You had uh, Solomon, and then you had Rehavam, his son, and Aviyah, and Asa, and Yoshafat, and all, they're all pretty righteous kings, more or less, and you have stability, and all of a sudden, we have this wicked Yoram, son of Yoshafat. Where did that come from? Well, it explains, because the daughter of Abraham became his wife. So, we saw the alliance back in chapter 22 of Kings 1 between Yoshaphat and Ahab. Remember that? Yoshaphat, the father of Yoram, was a lie to Ahab. And Ahab, of course, is the wicked king over on the other side of Israel. And they're um, probably uh, brothers-in-law. They're mishpacha already. Because Omri, I'm sorry, Asa, Asa, who's the father of Yoshaphat, was a lie to Omri, who was the father of Ahab. And already back then it said that there was alliance through marriage, if you recall, that Bat Omri became the wife of the son of Asa, which means Yoshaphat also married a Bat Omri or a Bat Achav. So it's not really sure which one married uh, the daughter of Omri or Achav. Yoshaphat, did he marry a daughter of Omri or did Yoram marry a daughter of Ahab? The scripture gives both possibilities and it's not, it's not important. What's important is that there's intermarriage here. There is an alliance through marriage between the kingdom of Judea and the kingdom of Israel. And if it's a daughter of Ahab, like the verse says, we're talking about the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. That's pretty, that's not a from girl, okay? That's marrying Yoram here. The daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, that is the wife of Yoram, okay? And so we see that this, um, unity between the kingdoms, this intermarriage between the kingdoms, really went awry. It did not uh, serve well for them. It's the, the very opposite. It um, created havoc. Up to now there was stability and now there, uh, there's a lot of instability because of the, this uh, alliance and intermarriage. And you know, it, it, again, we said it was a change in policy when Asa allied himself to Omri and Yoshifat allied himself to Ahab that was a change in policy. The earlier generations were warring all the time. There was hostility between Basha and Asa and Rechavam and Yerovam. Wars constantly. And then we see a change, um, a policy of pius, of, of, um, of peace between them. Not, not just peace, but marriage between them. And that's what Yoshifat said to Ahab, if you remember. My horses are your horses. Kamoni kamocha. I am like you. And so... Again, it ends up in disaster because instead of influencing the kingdom of Israel, which maybe they hoped to do, in the end they became influenced. And um, we try to understand the motive. Why would Yoshaphat try so hard to be allied to Ahab? Okay, I mean he knows Ahab is evil, but maybe he saw potential. You know, Ahab has a lot of national qualities. We saw really positive qualities in Ahab. Yoshaphat saw the potential, and Yoshaphat, like his father Asa. They're looking to expand the kingdom. They don't want to remain a one-tribe empire forever. Or two tribes. Let's say the tribe of Benjamin was together with Judea. But the ten tribes are, at, are not in their dominion. And there was a, because of the split. And they weren't expecting the split to last forever. In the end, it did last forever. But they're hoping, they're aspiring to bring back the glory days of Solomon. So the kings of Judea will have dominion, dominion over all of the tribes. So therefore, this attempt 
of unity, uh, and they did it through marriage, was a, uh, an aspiration to bring back the Davidic dynasty to rule over all the tribes like it once was. And again, it, did, it didn't happen. And Yehoshaphat, again, is a righteous king. And you can see he's trying to be like Solomon, you know, because the name Yehoshaphat, um, from the word Shofet, right? He was into judging. He was like Solomon, who was a great judge. Shmishpat Shlomo, Yehoshaphat. And that, uh, again, they remained, uh, unfortunately, weren't able to ever unite the kingdom until the ten tribes were exiled, right? And the only thing left was Judea. So let's now go on. What's going to happen to Yoram? Okay, we know that Yoram is a bad king. What's going to happen to his kingdom? So it says in verse 19, But the Lord was not willing to destroy Judea. So that means it was so bad in the times of Yoram, son of Yoshaphat, that the Lord was willing to destroy Judea, but he didn't do it. Why didn't he do it? For the sake of his servant David. Leman David Avdo. Because David, his servant, got a promise. If you recall, Hashem promised to King David that from you will be the Davidic dynasty forever. The kings will come from you until the Messiah. And there's a promise there. And only because of that promise, he promised him that he'll have a kingdom for his children for all times. And that's the only reason that Hashem did not destroy the kingdom of Judea, already now he was really going to destroy it because of Yoram's sins. But again, there was the promise for David that there will always be a remnant, there will always be a kingdom there, even if it's one tribe. And um, Yoram really is um, so off the derech, you know, he's so off the path of, of the kings of Judea that if you look at uh, chapter 21, the same chapter we're talking about in Chronicles, going back to Chronicles, and it's a long chapter on Yoram, uh, there's something interesting that happens there. You know, It says that Elijah the prophet, Eliyahu he comes back. Now Elijah, we haven't seen him for a while. The last we saw him, he was going off in a chariot of fire to the heavens. But in Chronicles here, he comes back to rebuke Yoram. Now what's Elijah doing rebuking Yoram after Yoram is the king of Judea? And Elijah was strictly prophesizing to the kingdom of Israel in the Shomron. He was dealing with Ahab, right? He wasn't dealing with any kings of Judea, but here he was rebuking Yoram in chapter 21 of Chronicles with a long rebuke. And um, in that rebuke, one of the things he mentions is that he says that you killed your brothers who were better than you. They were superior to you. And that might have been like a motive of Yoram. Why did he kill his brothers? Because they were better than him. That's a sign that they were superior to him. After all, they weren't the children of Jezebel and Ahab. They were probably much former kids. And why did Elijah, though, prophesy to Yoram? And that's because Yoram really is from the kingdom of Israel in a way. He is like a straight descendant, at least in his derech, to Ahab and Jezebel. And his wife is the daughter, is their daughter. So yeah, it is befitting for Elijah to prophesize to Yoram, even though he's a king of Judea, because he's got a lot of kingdom of Israel inside him. Okay? So, what happens now in his time? It says in verse 20, So in his time, while he was uh, ruling, Edom rebelled from under the power of Judea. 
and they appointed a king over them. Now, if you recall Edom, they were always under the thumb of uh, Yehuda. It says in the days of Yoshaphat, back in Kings 22, they're describing Yoshaphat's kingdom in Kings uh, 1, 48, that there was no king in Edom. That is, during Yoshaphat's time, there was no king there. The garrison, the Jewish garrison there, he was like the king of Edom. But now, in the time of Yoram, there's a weakness. They feel the weakness. Yoshaphat's out of the way. Again, Yoshaphat was a great warrior. Yoram probably isn't. And they rebel. And it's also appropriate because we know that when Yaakov is up, Esav is down. And when Esav is up, Yaakov is down. So Esau is Edom. And all the days that Yoshaphat was around, the righteous Yoshaphat, Edom was subjugated to the Jewish people. But now that it's Yoram, the king of Judea, around, and he's evil and weak, so we see Edom rearing their ugly head, and they're um, on the top, and we're on the bottom. So the other uh, possibility why Edom would rebel in a natural way is that, you remember that war when the three kings went against Moab? That was a war at the end of chapter, uh, at the end of Kings 1, that the king of Judea, the king of Israel, and the king of Edom went out to war against Moab. Okay, and if you remember that war, the king of Edom got burned really badly in that war, that the king of Moab sacrificed his child and killed his child of Edom, and Edom, uh, nobody came to his, to, his, to his rescue. In any case, there could be some animosity there between the king of Edom and the kings of Judea and, Yo- and, and Yoram. And, you know, by... The, ver- the fact that uh, Edom rebels and gets their independence and is no, no uh, longer subjugated to the kingdom of Judea has um, economic ramifications and commerce because the commerce that Judea did, if we recall, they would go to Etzion Gaver. We saw the kings of Israel together sometimes with the kings of Judea would go to Etzion Gever. That's where Eilat. And Edom is like the area of Eilat today. And that's like a port city and they would go on expeditions with their ships, if you recall. But now Edom is not going to let them do that, right? So Edom, being independent, has um, certain ramifications besides the political side of it. And it also says that um, in verse 21 that Yoram is trying to get Edom back. He's not giving up. It says in verse 21, So Yoram went over to Tzayim. And he's got chariots with him. So notice how in those days the kings would fight, you know. It was not like today, you know, the exilic mentality, should we go to war, not go to war. There, even the wicked kings understood you fight for Eretz Israel. All of them fought. If it was Yerovam, Yoram, they get, they get wounded. They get hurt. They get killed fighting against the enemy because it was just a natural thing. So Yoram's going out to fight, trying to bring it down back. And it says that he Laila. So he went to this place Tsair in the dome. He took chariots and he got up at night, and he struck Edom, Hasovivalov, who came around to him. And the officers of the chariots and the people fled to their dwellings. Now, that is one of the more confusing verses, verse 21, because you don't know who fled to their dwellings. The Jews or the Edomites. It doesn't say who fled. And it says he smote a dome. But if he smote a dome, 
If Yoram beat up on a dome, why does it say in the next verse that a dome rebelled from the power of Judea until this day? Did he win or did he lose this war when he went to Tzair? So, what most of the commentators say, the Mitzudat David, the Malbim, is that first of all, he's a weak king. So it says he did it at night. Now, if you're a conquering king, you don't have to do surprises at night. You're supposed to come you know, on the self-same day. And you try to get your country back from, you try to subjugate them again, right? But no, he does it at night. And what does it mean? So, sounds like they were surrounding him or he surrounded them. But what it really means is that he only hit, smote the, the cities that were around him, that surrounded him, that were close to him. The ones that were around him. That is, he didn't go deep into Edom. He was a coward, okay? He was too weak to go deep in, so he attacked and smote the periphery cities of Edom. And that's why he didn't finish the job. That's why in the next verse it says Edom rebelled against him. Because he went in like in a superficial way and he didn't uh, gut the, the country and bring it all back. So that explains um, why he didn't, you know, he smote a dome but did not take it back. And it says, am And the people fled to their dwellings. Again, we don't know. Did the Jews flee? Did the Edomites flee? It could go either way. But again, the point is that a dome remains independent from Judea at this point. So it's, that's what it says. And the dome rebelled from the power of Judah until this day. And then another place rebelled. rebelled. Livna. A place called Livna rebelled as well. Now Livna is a city in Judea, close to Edom. And how could they rebel if they're a Judean city? Well, apparently what it could have been, some of the commentators say that... Um, the Edomites made it, may have defected to Livna. After they rebelled, they kind of started to flow into Livna because it's close to them. And they rebelled against Yoram. It became like a half-Edomite city, possibly. Now, important addition in Chronicles. We want to mention an important addition in Chronicles, okay, when it talks about Livna. This place, Livna, according to the kings, rebelled. That's all it says. But look what it says in Chronicles. And Livna rebelled against his rule at that time. Why? For he had forsaken Hashem, the God of his fathers. So that's very important. If you just look at kings, everything looks kind of geopolitical. Everything's natural. Yoram's weak. They're getting stronger. And it all becomes like politics. But once you look in Chronicles, it adds a very... It's a couple of words, but these words mean everything. Why did it happen? Why did they rebel? For Yoram had forsaken Hashem, the God of his fathers. Realized that all this is happening, while it seems to be happening in a natural way, Hashem is orchestrating the events. And he's, it's his divine hashkocha. He's calling the shots according to the deeds of the Jewish people. And now that the Jewish people are going off the path, so the Goyim are rebelling against them. So you always have those two planes, right? You have the divine sphere, Hashem with his Hashkacha, orchestrating events. And then you have in the very natural sphere and they kind of uh, work together hand in hand. And finally we sign off on Yoram and and the remaining events of Yoram and all that he did are written in the books of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judea.
So that's a book that we don't have. The Chronicles of the Kings of Judea are not the chronicles we're learning here. They're, they're chronicles that are not necessarily um, just the most important things that go in there, but everything goes into the Chronicles of the Kings of Judea, all the wars, all the events that happen, but we don't have that book. And at this point, we're going to um, stop and learn about the next king of Judea.